Welcome to the Sickles and Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. I'm Chris Leonard, joined by Michael the Handsome in his sunroom. How's it going, Michael? That's right. I'm channeling Kyle Turnside because I remember that in the past he's been outside for these, and uh, I'm not quite quite daring enough to go outside, but I am in the sunroom. <laughs> I have the doors open, so I don't know. Maybe some wildlife will come in, but uh, yeah. I mean, you have wildlife room. that lives in your house anyway. I do. I do. I have a, a flock of parrots in my house. You have more than one? No, it's just one. But uh, uh, any any group of parrots, I guess one could be a flock. Like it's its own. It's its own flock. I don't know. I have no idea. I feel like a flock would have to be at least two. Okay, there's a parrot. (laughs) He's actually he's at my parents' house right now because I'm flying early in the morning. So he's he's baby being babysat by grandma. Um, So my house is currently devoid of wildlife unless some bees come in during the episode or something. So we'll see. Uh, Hopefully you're not allergic. so what's uh, we have some exciting news, Michael. We do. We uh, are very happy, first of all, to uh, uh, for for uh, the continuing support of RCF and Alan Heath. They've been really awesome partners to us, and we're happy to announce a third uh, sponsor to Signals and Noise, one that is near and dear to my heart. Rational Acoustics has just joined us as as a sponsor. So we want to say a big thank you to Rational Acoustics and uh, welcome aboard. And uh, should be a good time. Uh, yeah, I hear absolutely. that their employees are quite handsome. Something I heard through the grapevine. <laughs> Some of them, so, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So actually, I think um, this this week we're going to talk about something that that we talked about previously. I think this is a, this is the hat trick, right, um, Mr. Kyle Jensen? This is episode number three for it you. Is episode number three. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back, dude. Thanks. Thanks. Always going to be back. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff, but we're, we're going to talk about uh, Kyle and I just worked on production of Rent together at Hamilton College. And um, so I also, I've uh, press ganged into service uh, the technical director of the Hamilton College Theater Department, Miss uh, Jess Buttery is here as well. Hello, Jess. Hello. I'm actually the production manager. I was going to say, I thought it was What did I say? Manager. You said technical, said te- director. technical director. Oh, that's the same job. <laughs> I'm not. sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that I asked you before and I was like, hey, are you the are you the production uh-huh. manager? And you were like, yeah. And then I said something that was not that at Indeed. all. That's sick. That's something I would do. <laughs> yeah. In one it year is out the other. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Uh, welcome. 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 Thank you. Um, Kyle, you're back. You're back near Chris now, right? You're back in, in Pennsylvania? Yep. Yep. Way more central, I think, though. Way yeah. more central. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're probably what, at least two hours north of me. Are you up at State College? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. currently in State College. I think it's probably at least two hours north of me. Yeah, Pennsylvania's big. Might, might be, might be more. Anyway, deceptively big. Yes. So, so uh, we talked, we talked just a tad bit about rent when we had James on. He started telling us about theater mix and uh, three and a half hours actually. Jeez, I, I was just, cool. just looking at. I, I, I had to check. I had to check. I was like, holy cow! It's That's true. It, it goes my house lit. It's then Chris's place. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there you have it. And, and Jess just put an offer in on a house also this week. So it's it's been an exciting time all around. I did. I counter offered today. Stay Ooh. tuned. And <laughs> Jess has a feature at her potential house that no one else can lay claim to here, which is there's a lighthouse in the backyard. Ooh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Which seems seems fitting for someone who designs lights. Yeah. 
I'm not sad about it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I got, I don't know. It was like January and Jess, you had asked me if I wanted to work on rent and I've done a couple of productions with, with Hamilton and with the theater department. And of course I would love to work on rent and I had 18,000 things on my calendar and like my brother was getting married. So it's like things you can't skip exactly. And I was like, I would love to do it. I love, you know, working with that group and everything, but I just, I'm, I'm so short on, on bandwidth right now um, that I had asked Jess if I could bring on a, a, uh, a co-designer to work with me. And, and I called Kyle and Kyle said he would like to do it. So Kyle and I got to co-design the show and I had a super good time, dude. It was so fun. It was so <laughs> much fun. I was like one of the most fun shows I've actually worked on in my entire career. Yeah. It was, I think, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit early today because there's a lot to talk about here, but I think with something that was uh, oftentimes when you have co-designers, you have to sort of do, a, it's not quite adversary, but you have to do a little tug of war and figure out what everybody's vision is and where you're going to meet in the middle and how you're going to move forward with it. And we didn't do that at all. Like we were like pretty much aligned on everything all the time, how we wanted to tune the system and even the mix notes that we are giving to our, our mixer, uh, Olivia. Maybe like, it has something every, to do with the past three years of you kind of talking into Kyle's ear m- through the podcast. Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just, yeah. It just kind I'm of a voice, aligned. I'm a voice like in you. Kyle's head, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of many. One of yeah. many. <laughs> it was just, it was kind of neat because it was, it was really just like a, a doubling of bandwidth more than anything that um, it was, it was all, uh, Every every note, I was like, "Yep, that makes sense." And then I would say something to Olivia, and Kyle be like, "Yeah, that's cool." And so it was it was really cool, man. I I, uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was good. It was good knowing that we were both on the same page for sure. Yeah. And yeah. like, you know, it's rent. You it's it's going to be a loud rock musical that everyone knows at least one of the songs too. So you know, it's really easy that you're not trying to pull. It's like you said, you're not trying to necessarily do that big tug of war like you would on you know more more obscure piece let's say yeah i think you know for me that so the previously a couple years ago i worked on west side story with this theater department and that was you know i hope with like a 28 piece orchestra or something like that and it's in a what i would call an acoustically hostile environment um and so that's all about just natural intelligibility and getting an orchestra to sound you know like people think an orchestra should sound and then we did uh, was it last days of Judas Iscariot, right? And and that was also something that's supposed to be very, very natural and very neutral and very subdued. And it was live streamed, so it, again, it's just it's it's about staying out of the way. Um, and this was so different. It was one of the first things I I said to Mark, or Mark Cryer, the director, was like, "This has got to be big and loud and in your face, and it is not subtle. And this is not one of those we're going to sneak audio in and people aren't going to realize that." there's audio happening. This is going to be like, you know, big and it's going to, it's going to be uh, assertive. And um, so it was a, just a, a deaf, just a total different direction from what I've done with, with, with this group in the past. And we, we hung a lot of speakers. And <laughs> Kyle, you want to talk about the design a little bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, the design that really we came up with, well, we had, we had to contend with a couple of interesting uh, design factors when it came into this show one of which was that the entire seating all the seating areas because it was played in the what's called in the round so you have seating on all four sides um one thing that was very interesting and kind of a a bit of a challenge for us was that everything was at a 45 degree angle to where the the line sets were 
that we would be hanging our speakers on. So where in some time, in some cases where if they were either perpendicular or parallel to those line sets, we might take up a couple of, of battens. We basically took up twice the number of battens than we normally would because we had to hang at a 45 degree angle to, and it basically knocked out each batten on either side of the one that we were hanging on at the very least. And with this, we also decided to go with a separate system. I call it separate. It was one unified system, but it was two, two systems, one for vocals, one for the band. And that gives you a lot of headroom, when it, especially in system design, when you're trying to get as punchy and in your face of a sound that we wanted. Um, it's good to have your vocals, at least in a musical theater standpoint, coming through one set of speakers and have your band come through another set of speakers and basically have them inter- intermix and intermingle in the air versus trying to put both your vocals and your band through one uh, set of speakers, which can cause some interesting issues and you can actually run out of a lot of room quickly. Um, we did a lot of creative uh, hanging things. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did want to ask Jess about kind of the whole hanging process because I wasn't there for it. And and Michael, I know you were there for it a little bit too. So I just want to kind of get Jess's thoughts on how receiving all the paperwork and seeing what that was going to look like, what, what your thoughts were on that. I'd love to talk about that. It was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for the record, I'll drop, we'll drop a picture of this in a discord server and on Facebook. Yeah. I have a couple it, pictures it, of the, of the rig. Yeah. That that'll we'll up. pull this together. So if you're really interested in looking at it, cause it might be hard to describe without actually physically seeing it. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you all remember uh, in preliminary conversations in January, but initially the scenic designer wanted to hang those windows at a 45 degree angle to the 45 degree angle of the space and, and quite literally take up like half of the line sets, right? So like if the line sets are running parallel to the 45 degree angle of the seats, the windows were hanging that way as well effectively meaning that those battens could not come in at all. And it was already kind of a nightmare because the the seating <laughs> risers were elevated so high. Two sets of the banks were at, I think the top level was six feet and the others were 10 or something like that is where they landed. And so already we knew that we were going to have to hang everything that needed weight in the sky really early. Um, and then just like hope for the best that it all worked and that we wouldn't have to bring it in. Um, <laughs> and change things uh but those <laughs> those window banks got cut really early because we were all like no like no <laughs> <laughs> what they looked so they cool looked so in cool. the concept art and i was like i love it but it's just you it blocks everything <laughs> like you can't yep. you can't have lights you you block speakers it was just it was i i i told him later on that i was like i really wish we could have done that because i love how it looked it was it just looks so it looked cool. Really cool but like so you quite literally had to put the windows to the wall didn't you yeah. oh no. yes wow that's terrible that's a terrible fucking joke chris we ended up we ended up with two sets of i think we ended up with two sets of windows yeah if i'm not mistaken one yeah. right behind the pit and one kind of funny enough obscuring the the, the booth yes absolutely obscuring the booth like our poor little student stage manager was like oh awesome <laughs> there's a window that i actually also, can't also, see through directly in front of my face <laughs> also shout out to that stage manager for calling that show because that is not an easy show to call and they did a fantastic job with totally. that totally I totally agree, especially with a non-see-through window directly in front of their yeah. line of vision. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, so there was there was challenges from the get go. Uh, we also had a lighting designer who had never worked in the space, um, so he was coming in blind, uh, working to the best of his ability, trying to fight for space in the ground as well because it's hard to light in the round. Um, you're lighting so many more angles from so many more spaces, right? Um, so. I feel like everyone negotiated it really gracefully. So I'd love to say that to both of you and to all of the designers. Like, we got through it. There were no tears or yeah. punches. Uh, it was great. But <laughs> but it was certainly like there was some like, but I need that from everyone. Um, and I think ultimately everybody got what they needed. I hope so. I hope everyone feels like that. Um, but in the round for a rock musical is certainly like if you want to challenge yourself in any way that's a great way to do it yep i and think what was interesting is i just come off of doing rent in a thrust space uh not a couple months before that down here at penn state so having already seen what that show had gone through was really it was really important and very useful in knowing what we could and couldn't do system wise in in the production that we did at hamilton college because there were certain things that worked really well in that space uh, it, it, down here in State College, but there were things that kind of could have been better. And taking that knowledge was very important and helped, I think, ultimately, it helped this show in more ways than I think a lot of people realized. Which is funny because I left that show of Rent and I went and did Rent in a proscenium space immediately after. And same. So we <laughs> between the two of us, Kyle, we've done it in all of the you know, all of the spaces that we possibly could simultaneously to paint paint some of the listeners to paint some of the listeners, a word picture on what, what our system was Um, for our vocal system. We had a, we had three box or four box hangs, right? Four 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 box box hangs hangs of the RCF, what are they? HDL six A's. Yes. Um, So those were kind of, we, we, we made it what's called an LCR system, left center, right system in each of the four seating areas. So we ended up having the RCF line arrays for our vocal system. And then we had both a left and a right of Eastern Acoustic Works, 23 something, something. There was a Z the EW it. point yeah. source boxes, basically. <laughs> yeah, EW something with a Z in it. Yeah, they were heavy as shit. Um, yep. <laughs> but it was, uh, we had subs, a sort of uh, grab bag of subs that we uh, inserted under each seating riser. We had two EW subs and a QSC sub uh i think we had a mackie in there as well too yeah yeah. and so i'm like they don't sound the same at all (laughs) (laughs) and funny what was actually interesting about that michael is that i think we accounted for that in our paperwork because we had each of the subs fed by its own output from our system processor so that we could tune them to get in the ballpark of uniformity yeah we took we took uh, i mean the first thing for me was like we need to contain this having worked in that space and knowing, you know, the challenges that come with just, you know, omnidirectional microphones in general and, and, and snare drum in a black box theater and those types <laughs> of things. Right. Um, but my first thought was like isolation, PA has got to have a ton of control. We have to keep it close, all that type of thing. And so you don't want to be launching sub energy around the space. So we're like, let's put them, let's build them under the risers so we can turn them way down and they still do what they need to do, but they're not trying to go a long distance. And, you know, that was that was a big thing. So we took the sub matrix off the Avantis yep. and went to the HM64 that was sort of the mothership processing for everything. Um, so we got um, a band 
and a vocal mix and a sub mix. And those went to the HM and got divvied up from there. Um, part of that was we have the band that was on one end of the room. So you have half of the audience seating that's closer to the acoustic band and half that's farther away. So the, the, uh, the band to vocal mix on that side of the room needs to be more vocal heavy than it does on the other side of the room. Cause you don't have as much acoustic bleed for those listeners. So the HM, we were able to balance that out and then try to match the subwoofers as, as, as best we could. You know, um, they obviously are not going to sound the same, but we can make them have the same, uh, frequency response. And, and, you know, we, we got them as close as I think you reasonably could expect to get something like that. Um, and I mean, it worked like it, it absolutely did what I was hoping for. <laughs> so there was a day Kyle and I were in there tuning and we turn it on. We're like, actually, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> we're like, did we just make this sound really good? I think I, we did. We, I kind of wasn't sure. You know, there's a lot of unknowns. And, you know, the thing I wanted to say about what Jess was talking about is, you know, part of the thing, you know, the challenge in, in all sorts of production uh, and, you know, in theater, obviously, and, and in the touring world as well, it's just like, you have to know when you go, okay, we'll make that work. And when you go, we absolutely can't do it this way. You have to know which, you know, I don't like the expression of which hills to die in, but you really, you know, there are some things that were like, yeah, we'll, we'll sort that out. And there were some things that were like, no, we have to do something else here. Um, and you got to know what to advocate for. And you can't advocate for everything all the time because number one, you're not going to get it. And number two, people stop listening to you after a while. So you really got to pick that one or two things that, you know, there was like one thing with rigging that we went to Justin. We're like, this is not going to work if we don't do it this way. And it was like, all right. And then this is how we're going to do it. And so you really have to give and take. Um, and I think that's, that's part of it. But I think coming at it from a system design aspect and knowing fundamentally what are the challenges going to be in terms of isolation? What are the challenges going to be in terms of game before feedback? You know, there are some basic, building blocks of science that we need in place for this to work. When you go in the round, um, you know, you are in a situation where most of the speakers from any given listening position are pointed away from you, right? So you, you, your direct to reverberant ratio immediately starts to suffer. You immediately get all this low mid pool up from all the sources and you have, you know, just stuff that starts bouncing around. And so, so it becomes a much bigger struggle to get intelligibility and to get clarity it's sort of working in the opposite direction of what we wanted to do, which is have it be like really, really in your face and really tight and really punchy. Um, so, you know, I think it actually, I was pleasantly surprised, <laughs> <laughs> you know, knowing the challenges going in. And that was something that you said too, in your, in the first meeting that, that when you came on board, Kyle, you were like, look, <laughs> I've done this show a bunch and this is a challenge every single time. And, and yep. I, you know, we, we did it though. Like I was, I was very happy with it. I have to say. Oh, absolutely. And especially with that challenge of, you know, all the all the performers were wearing omnidirectional microphones and that game before feedback, like we had every single person on a boom microphone, one that got them got the mic capsule right down right next to their face. And that's what we needed to do because we had cast members literally literally playing all around the audience. And there was never a time that I think a cast member wasn't in direct line of sight speakers. So with more traditional theater rigging, when you have a microphone at the center of their forehead, right at the hairline, that wouldn't have worked in that space. And we would not have gotten the, 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 the vocal punch that we needed to, because you try to push that vocal, those vocal mics as hard as you can. And if that mic capsule is as far away as it would be, if it was at the center of their forehead, you're going to start feeding back no matter what. And so we, I knew from the get go and I, Michael, you were very much in agreement with this is like, everyone's got to be on boom mics. Like we're not hiding the technology here. Yeah. It is a rock musical. You know, Rent on Broadway was the first musical that 
popularized that style of microphone. Now, granted, they were a little bit more obs- a little bit more in your face than the ones that we were using, but they were still. It's the one of the first shows that actually used that style of microphone. What many refer to as the Britney Spears microphone. I, I call it the Bieber phone. The Bieber phone. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that was in the first email that we sent for the whole production team. Was like they're going to be on ear sets. Like they have to yeah. absolutely. There's just that's not you know it's it's the, this is how it's going to have to work. Um, and and you know I also have to say we had some powerhouse talent in this show. Oh like the, I mean, it's not when you think of uh, a college theater show typically you think about what you know what you're dealing with in terms of talent and the ability of the them to project and stuff like that like they totally blew that out of the water it like insanely strong cast a ton of strong singers um and that does you so much good when it comes to trying to get that sound where you're not fighting to try to lift people on top and you know that was uh incredible cast um i i've i've you know i've seen professional theater productions that didn't have uh, a cast that sounded that good to be honest with you like it really really uh exceeded my expectations it was awesome absolutely yeah yeah totally i think <laughs> so this is my second show at hamilton college um and i don't think i expected the musical talent out of a small liberal arts college that we got out of that show which is absolutely amazing uh i also pride myself in being pretty sound dumb as a production manager, <laughs> right? Because like I'm a lighting person who chose to never le- learn sound to not become the sound light person, right? So like I pride myself on being sound dumb, and sometimes you guys would send me stuff, and I would just kind of zone out reading it. I'm like I don't know what that is. I guess I'll try to get them what they need, and sometimes I failed. I will tell you that, and so I'd like to apologize. But like it is a. <laughs> It is. If you did, I didn't notice. Oh, okay, good, great. <laughs> um, I, I I heard a rumor, and you can confirm or deny okay. this, Jess, uh, uh, or you can no comment it, which is which is we all know is actually a confirmation. Um, when when you took over for the previous production manager in that spot, um, he left you some like cliff notes about here's the lighting stuff you got to know, and here's the video stuff you got to know. And I heard through the grapevine that for audio, it just said call Michael and hope he answers. Yep. Uh. <laughs> that's a true story um and it just said michael it didn't say michael lawrence like there was no other information like your phone number was not there so then i had to, like sleuth around hamilton college and be like do you know a michael who does sound and like <laughs> finally found you and i was like oh great okay <laughs> and then you came in for that one day in october and like explained everything and at some point i kind of zoned out and was like sure <laughs> sounds like it works <laughs> and that's when i was like oh that dude should probably come to run <laughs> oh, man. and i also i have to say you know i remember saying uh, to jake meese who was our, our musical director on this show and i've i've worked with jake for years and years and years um and he said, how we sound? And I said, you know, Jake, I go, it's it's actually, <laughs> I go, it's way better than I expected. And he first took that to mean like, I thought I was going to be shitty, that he was going to do a shitty job. And I was like, no, no, I've done like, I've done several shows here. And I go, this is just head, head and shoulders above anything else I've done at this college. So he was like, oh, actually, that's a great compliment. Like, yeah, cool. yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, I was not insulting you. Yeah. Now, Jake was Jake was awesome to work with. Yeah, like, absolutely. Uh, wonderful music director to have led that band and to teach the cast and to work with as a collaborator in the show. Uh, that was my 
you know, one of the concerns is, of course, all right, you're putting a drum set in a black box theater, you're doing a rock show. So you have one of two situations immediately. You have a situation where it's way too fucking loud. Or you have a situation where you actually have a drummer that can play to the space and they're holding back and then it doesn't sound rocking because a drum set played very quietly doesn't hit the way that you want it to hit for a show like Rent. You know, that's a powerful, you listen to the soundtrack, that is, it's it's full on rock and roll. They're playing hard. Um, we actually lucked out. I think we did really good. We had a great drummer whose name I don't recall, but uh, controlled, good sounding kit. We got Plexi, which was like, thank you thank you jess for helping us get plexi we built a drum shield (laughs) you broke yeah (laughs) honestly it was a really well-built drum shield like it was i'm like clear sonic could probably take some notes uh i don't know maybe that's my new etsy business it's like (laughs) i just build drum shields now that would be that's a very niche like etsy drum shields is such a, a a niche product just, just locally sourced in. acrylic. Yeah, I yeah. just call it's it like buttery vegan, vegan drum buttery, shield. Yeah. Buttery drum shields. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice, actually. I don't know. It might sell. <laughs> I, I have a permanent scar on my, um, right above my forearm from getting cut on a drum shield, actually, because it was like a homemade wow. one, and it had like you know bolt and washers kind of going through like where the hinges were, it just wasn't cleaned up well enough. And like doing a changeover set on stage, I scrape my arm and I have a permanent scar from a drum shield. So Yeesh. if you could do better than that on Etsy, I, I might I might get you some uh, some customers. Okay, great. I would I would <laughs> I quantify was, that as not not buttery. If you're cutting yourself, <laughs> not buttery. <laughs> Chris, do you remember what what gig that was, Chris? No clue. Oh, okay. I don't know if it was like a like a like a church like you know my uncle Terry does sound and he made a thing like one of those you know he's a, he was he was a radio DJ in 1985 so he's he's qualified. No, I, I wish I had more context. It's just it's just a permanent scar. That's uh, a battle wound of the stage that wow. many of us have somewhere on our bodies. So maybe not. it's crazy that you don't even like have an artist name to associate with this permanent disfigurement of your body. No, I, I like, you can't be like, damn it, ludicrous. You haunt me. <laughs> no, not not can't play ludicrous. No, I, I know the other scars that I have. Um, I know what happened or what those shows were and stuff like that. But you know, it's all good. wait, did you do ludicrous? Oh yeah, well, I've also chewed ludicrous oh. out as well. <laughs> <laughs> I that is not. a story I have not heard before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I guess we're going there. Um, so um, I mean, I don't. We don't need to generate emails, but it sounds interesting. No, 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 no. No, it, it, it's it's a simple story. Uh, it was just it was, um, it was actually on a Bow Wow tour, uh, believe it or not, um, and uh, so it was one of those uh, scream tours. And you know, um, on a lot of hip hop tours, they often have a lot of guest artists that come and go because they collaborate on albums and things like that. And so when you go to high profile cities like New York and Chicago and stuff, all of a sudden these people just show up. Um, and you often don't know that they're bringing a guest. And it's I just, have heard this story before. <laughs> yes, I remember this now. I remember and, this. And um, and my job. When, I mean, I was just you know PA Flytech and RF Wrangler and A2 and and Catch All Right. Um, and I had at least twelve RF handhelds that I just kept upstage. And it was like to the point where like you literally there's a different e tape color on each one of them because at any given time you don't know how many are going to be out there. You just tell front of house and monitors what color is who's going be a what and but what happened is is that from night to night they would just bring guests and they would just show up and they would just grab a microphone around on stage and then i get yelled at because 
um, they don't know who's <laughs> out there, and someone's trying to sing and or rap, and they don't know who's out there, and and so like I had kindly kind of told the artists, and you know, it's like and their managers and stuff, like, hey, just let me know, it's all good. You can bring as many people as you want. I don't care. I just need to know. And we were in Chicago, um, and uh, and sure enough, this person grabs a microphone. And um, I come up on stage and, and I start like kind of laying into the person about it and their manager and all this or whatever. And that's not the right microphone. This is the right microphone. Hey, go, go. You're right. And then my stage manager of the tour comes over. It's like, hey, you know who that was? Like, no, man. But I've been telling these guys to stop grabbing whichever <laughs> microphone they want. It was like, it was like, that was it was ludicrous. I was like, oh, okay. Well, he shouldn't have. <laughs> so, yes, I've chewed this out ludicrous. fired up. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you got man. some nice war stories between that and tackling the guy on the disturb show. I mean, I that's have awesome. done that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen a video of that. Yeah, I put a, I put a knife through my hand one time. That was that was anyway. Um, that wasn't good. I was cutting a drum. See, you don't get the, you don't get these war stories in theaters. Right? <laughs> I I was cutting a loom off of a snake or whatever, and I and I slipped, and the knife went to like the like the webbing part of my hand, um, Ooh. and I grabbed my hand really quick uh, and went to the bathroom to wash it out. And then I'm washing it out, and I turn. I was like, "That's not too bad." I turn it over. I was like, "Ah, oh, shit!" I went through. I literally had gone <laughs> through the webbing of my hand, um, and so Gross. then I had I had to go. I got the cab to go to the. It was in DC. I had to go um, to the hospital get some stitches, and um, thankfully the cab didn't charge me, which was nice. Um, and uh, yeah, got stitches, and I came back and did loadout. Now I don't condone that part of the story of coming back and doing loadout still. Um, that was a different era and time and you know responsibility, but there's that. Wow, that was a delightful tangent. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Yep. So let's bring it back to this show. Um, so <laughs> uh, y'all use the um, uh, the Avantis on this, and you had done yeah. at least one other musical on the on the Avantis, hadn't you? Like last summer? Or? Uh, yeah. So when I did West Side Story at Hamilton, we actually James had just come out with X thirty two Theater Control. It's like mm. the first version of it. And I was talking to him about using it. And then the show just outgrew the console. It just, uh, the theater had an M32, I think, and it just didn't fit. And so I ended up doing it on my, my pro series, um, which getting that type of automation to work on a pro series is not, <laughs> it's not simple. Um, I actually, <coughs> that was back when you could email Midas and get an answer. Um, but they helped me do that. And then when we did last summer, no, it was must have been three summers ago by now because time is an illusion. <laughs> thanks is. to COVID, um, it was, uh, it was the out, Barber out, of Seville. Thing, right? Yeah, it was outdoors. It was Barber of Seville. Oh, yeah. It was in Fairport, New York, is the uh, the Finger Lakes Opera. Um, and yeah, my same old thing. Stomping grounds. Yeah, yeah, and it really actually one of the more challenging things I've done full orchestra, but they're behind the set, so they're one hundred percent reinforced, and it has to sound like it's not being squeezed out of a line array. And you have classically trained opera singers who are not used to wearing microphones, unlike musical theater actors. Um, did that on the Avantis. Um, and I don't think I no, there was no theater control for that. That was just I just programmed into the console. Um, so this was the second time I've done musical theater on that console. But it's the first time that we've had James's program to do it. And it's really come quite a long way. I mean, Kyle, you can talk more about some of it. We were doing some pretty advanced stuff in, in, the, yeah. in the file. Actually, we found a couple bugs, which ep is cool. Ep <laughs> episode 193, by the way, is when we had um, when we had him on. Actually, Kyle, weren't you on at time? When we yeah. Did, did yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, if you're, if you're curious about more about that, go check out episode 193. 
so we we were recalling obviously you're recalling vca assignments and you're you're muting and i'm muting but um kyle maybe we could talk more about some of the more advanced stuff we were doing and yeah control. sure um so yeah with with theater mix we were as you said recalling all the all the vcas all the microphone assignments because for people who may might not know about musical theater mixing is that we try to keep we, all all the microphones and all the bread and butter of theater, musical theater programming for sound is reordering of microphone assignments to VCAs. Usually it's one or two microphones. Sometimes it's an entire ensemble that's on a VCA. And that just means that your A1 who's mixing the show is able to use 8, 10, 12 VCAs to control, you know, dozens of inputs and maybe a couple of effects returns and some groups and matrices and what have you. So it's a lot easier to have them just focus on those 12 faders and have the console automate stuff underneath their fingertips. Um, for our purposes, though, we were using ex we were making extensive use of the uh, feature in theater mix that allows you to turn on certain effect sends for certain for certain um, for certain cast members. So because it's rent, it's mostly sung through, but there are some sections of dialogue. And one of the things that Michael and I did was we had people dropping in and out of vocal reverb, whether they were speaking or singing, which uh, was like. You mix a couple, mix a couple lines, take another cue. You know, Roger might drop out of vocal reverb. Mimi might drop, might come into vocal reverb, and that is all done through theater mix. And it was really simple to do. We actually got our hands on one of the beta program betas at the time for um, one particular effect that we wanted with um, in a song called "Over the Moon," where we wanted to have uh, one of the characters go through multiple effects at the same time. This was one vocal reverb and a delay unit. Now, with the version that we were running at the time that wasn't in beta, you couldn't do that. But since then, it's now been fully released. But we were running the beta version of that, that you could assign multiple multiple effect sends or turn on multiple effect sends with one uh, push of a button, which was really useful. We were then also, each one of the songs of the show had its own band mix. And those are actually the only part of the show that was recorded directly onto the console. So we used theater mix to recall those scenes which we recall band mixes. And then all the other VCA programming would sit just on the computer that was running theater mix, just connected in through a network, through a network port. Um, we originally also had, this was before we realized the practicalities of doing this were not <laughs> in our favor. We also wanted to have QLab be, which is our sound effect playback program triggered from theater mix as well. So the idea was that it would be one go button to rule them all which I can't take credit for that. Andy Levis uh, can take credit for telling me that, that turn of phrase. Um, but we realized very quickly that, A, there was not going to be enough space at front of house to also have a QLab machine and a dedicated QLab operator. Also, we needed a dedicated QLab operator. So what we ended up doing was we took all the QLab, uh, send, all the QLab goes, basically. We took them out of theater mix, which actually cut down our scenes quite a bit, um, and put that all separate on a separate operator. What we ended up doing was we ran QLab from the booth on the uh, on Hamilton College's uh, computer and actually just pumped it directly into the Allen and Heath, the AHM 64. So we didn't even hit the console with QLab, which wouldn't be something I would normally do on a show yeah, like that, Rent. That's interesting. It's it, I've done it a couple times before, but I've done it not with an AHM. Um, I don't think I would necessarily have done it again that way, mostly because Rent has backing tracks and that meant that we kind of had to set a level for the backing tracks and leave them be for the actual show, which isn't how I like to operate. If I was going to do backing tracks, I want them to be on a channel or two channels 
if it's a stereo file that are also assigned to our band VCA, which is usually for me the last VCA in on on a fader bank. So let's say it's VCA twelve, um, because I want the operator to be able to roll to ride those levels on like kind of make minute changes throughout the entire show to keep those vocals on top. With how we had it to do it, it worked out okay because that the 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 actor playing uh, Angel who sings to one of the backing tracks was fantastic and and was able to hit the the notes and the the blocking pretty consistently um when he didn't like to ad lib some stuff which was always fun um but we were able to you know it, it, we skirted a problem that we could have otherwise had but in the future you know I don't think I would have done what we did um if I could you know if I had a little bit more time I would have figured out another solution but it ultimately worked out pretty well it was did, there any think, video? Rec- was there any video recording at all uh, of it, or is it all just what happened live? I think we have archival. I, I and I only there's no video just content like, in the show. If that's what you mean. Well, the, more just of like you know the way you were doing the routing, the way you're doing so much in the AM sixty four, HM sixty four. If you ever needed to record it, like where would you just have to record one of those stems? You know, to get yeah. That, well, that be that becomes part of the part of the trick. Um, I do have a two mix that I took to to work on some things with Livia and that's, you know, you're missing those, those playback elements, which doesn't, you know, doesn't really affect w- when you're talking about the line mixing stuff. Uh, but I mean, the, the thing is it's a black box and we're sort of um, it's, it was very clearly designed to have all the audio run from the booth in that sort of space. And that's just not something you can do on a show like this because that person can't hear anything from up there. Um so we sort of had to retrofit everything to get Olivia down and and kill two seats and have her be in the coverage of the PA, which now means a bunch of tie lines and it now means a bunch of drive lines going back and forth. And so we're just you're we, we're just up against infrastructure that's not designed to do what we were doing with it. Um, and I think we use like every fucking XLR yes. cable. I think we did. We, did. <laughs> we used every we used every single XLR and then some. Yeah, yeah. We had to scrounge from the other theater. I think I found one in like my desk drawer that I was like, I found a five foot and everyone was like, Oh my God. I was like, yes, this is exactly what I needed. So, so, you know, when you, when you're sitting in the booth and there's a QLab machine there and there's HM that's, you know, the HM patch is 12 feet away. You really don't want to go down to the console and back up. You don't have to, Um, we could have gotten crazy with like S link cards and you know, there. There, there, that's one of those things where if you're going to run for longer and you've got a longer tech, you go after stuff like that. But I think, I think it worked. I did actually have a, a custom control app made up that would allow the operator to bump up and down levels on the playback. We didn't end up needing that. Um, it actually worked out, you know, just fine. But we, we, yeah. that would be how I would approach that in the future if I had to do it that way. Is you just you give them a an iPad or something and they've got an up and a down and and off you go. Um, but absolutely it, yeah nothing exploded though which is cool nothing yeah nothing did nothing when exploded um <laughs> but i think that is also kind of a good testament to how everyone in that production worked um literally everyone which was ensuring that they had a good plan b a plan c a plan d because you know the original plan a was qlab would be fed right into the console so that we could treat it like another instrument but our plan b ended up being run it directly into the signal processor and have it get matrixed out to the to the outputs and the speakers that it needed to go to yeah and i think you know the other thing that we were very fortunate to have that that you know i mean kyle Kyle, you've done a bunch of college theater and i've done some and you don't usually get a student mixer who is like good enough to mix professionally um olivia i've done this is my second show with her olivia batal she's fantastic i told her after 
the last show just like you could do this for a living if you want to she's that good um she came in to judas and mixed the entire you know usually when i have students is okay pick a scene and you're gonna learn the scene and you're gonna mix the scene and we'll go from there if you you kill that one we'll add a second one to it um, and i'm always ready to mix anything that they they don't get to um so i said pick a scene and she sat down and mixed the entire show all the way through the first time. And that was a tricky one because it was for live stream. So there, I said that, you know, there can never be a point in the show where everything's all the way out because you get digital black going to your encoder and it, Facebook explodes and black hole swallows itself. So it's like that we had to do some, some non-conventional things on that because it was for a stream and, and rent is not an easy mix. Um, no. Oh, the first bug has entered my sunroom. It's a big one too. Oh <laughs> boy. Get out of here, bug. Um, so, you know, I, I think I, um, like we tried to really stack the deck for, I told her like months, months ahead of time, I sent her a text. I'm like, this is not going to be like the last thing that you mix. Like this is going to, you have to do some work on this and you're going to have to practice and you're going to have to, you know, and she got theater mix downloaded. That was one of the cool things about theater mix is like that the, the console was not going to be something she had access to until a couple of days before we started the tech. Um, but she had the theater mix file for break and she took it home for break and she could sit down with her script and work on it. And she could send questions to Kyle and I, if she had questions. So being able to just go, Hey, download this free program. Here's the file. And she's already able to mark up her script and all this stuff, which is really cool, but she killed it. I mean, I, I think I, uh, I got off a plane at a gig and Kyle sent me a text and he's like, dude, she just mixed all of that too. <laughs> like she killed it. So it's like, yeah. you, you know, I, yeah, I was really, Typically, you're building in a couple of runs just to help the mixer get comfortable and to kind of be hovering and and jump in when they need you to jump in and fix problems that come up where they can't get to stuff in time. You got to reprogram. And we really did very, very little of that. She she pretty much jumped she's in. She's got and a good ear. Killed yeah. it. Well, and she yeah. after, she's after, a senior, which I didn't realize and makes me really sad because she's delightful as a human being and a student um, and I'm going to miss her terribly. And so when at the end of the show that she was bawling, you know, like theater seniors do and you're like, it's okay. Life's yeah. going to go on. You're sad because you're sad because it was happy dude. And that's cool. Right? Like that's why we do it. Um, you're sad because you had such a strong connection. To yeah. And, and yeah. And this chapter's ending and that's okay. But I did tell her like not to, to plug my theater pedagogy on everyone, but like, you showed up and you did a really good job and you're delightful to work with. And that is how you work in this industry. Um, and you got it, dude. Like if you want to do this, you can do this. Like you already oh, yeah. know the people to be able to do this. Um, so like, call me baby. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. and I don't think she's going to, unfortunately we'll see. I don't know. Maybe she'll call one of us in like a year and be like, JK, <laughs> I want to do musical theater, which I would love. Would like, hope. Let's do it. <laughs> One yeah. would hope. Yeah, I think, and that was one of the things that you, you you struck on that exactly, which was she's got the ear for it because we got through the um the eight out of ten that we were doing on what was it that Saturday I think or Sunday, and we had gotten through the entire show at that point, and during the entire lead up to opening when we were just running like doing dress runs basically, I was like, well. My 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 notes list was already small, and it keeps getting smaller and smaller like, and smaller. Should I just go home? I don't. <laughs> I mean, that was we. You know, we were fixing little things with the system and with the programming and and stuff like that. And you know, I was 
moving around. I was sitting in a different section of the audience every time I could hear a, a bit of it from from you know. So we're we're tweaking the balance, you know. But that's that's sound designer stuff. That's not that's not mixer stuff that she has to deal with. And and she like if she screws it up, she knows it, <laughs> you know. She, and she gets all pissed off at herself. And so you don't have to go. Hey, we well, got to go back and look at that because she's already like she's already she's, amped up about she's it. She's on it, yeah. and she's got three she's, different fixes that <laughs> yeah. she's ready to. Yeah. She would come into my o- my office during intermission and be like, "Jesus Christ, I'm sorry." And I'm like, "For what?" <laughs> like I'm just listening through the intercom. Like I, it's already pretty shitty, right? Like so, like for what? She's like, "Well, there was that angel line." I'm like. No, don't be. Please stop beating yourself up. I'm glad you recognize it. That's important. <laughs> but like, you're the only one, boo. You're the only one who knew. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the risk with a show like that, where it's just line, 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 it's so fast, is is snowballing. Like, if you mix, you miss a line, and then you go into panic mode, and, you, and then totally. and then you're immediately you're eight you're eight lines behind like that. You know, it's yeah. it's so it's so hard to get back on when you get off and that was that's always my concern with a show like that particularly with a student mixer who's doesn't have the professional who's mixed a thousand shows and is just really cool under fire and doesn't get flustered when they miss a pickup like that and so that's sort of what my concern was going into this was that okay student mixer like you know she's i've seen her mix and i know she can mix we haven't done anything that's that demanding and that fast paced and again because it's so amplified and it's so aggressive sounding a missed pickup is really fucking obvious. Um, it's not like some of these things where you can kind of sneak it in and, and it's, it's such a natural sound that you don't generally hear it. But this was like, it's everybody's going to know, <laughs> you know, immediately. Um, and she, she, she got it. Like, I mean, I, I think oh, yeah. by the time we got to opening, there was like, we didn't have anything that we were like, Oh, it, I hope it that- was, it was, we got to the point where anything that would have happened had not happened before. So we knew it was something that would, probably not happen again <laughs> uh, but yeah i think you know and i, I always call I, I jokingly call rent the hold on for dear life mix because uh, apart from a couple of numbers um you're basically yeah you're you're one liner one liner one liner one liner um i think at one point during la vie bohème which is the number at the very end of act one there were two very quick uh, scene changes that happened in very quick succession. I think I wrote in one of the scene descriptions, this is a quick go. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to hear both from Jess and Kyle. I mean, this is something that I think a lot about because, you know, the vast majority of my work is not in an educational setting, right? And Kyle, you do a, a ton of, of college theater and Jess, you do a ton of college theater. You are doing a show and you you want to be able to have opportunities for people to learn. And so as, as tempting as it is for me to jump in and say, let me mix it. You don't want that. You want the student to mix it and you'd, you'd rather have them stumble through it and screw it up. And you'd rather have them be slower to learn it and, and figure out, you know, Kyle and I can move really quick on this equipment because it's our job to do that. And a student can't do that, but you, you sort of have to get back and let them do it and just guide them. Um, so it's it's and that's part of the reason that I you know I wanted to come and work on this even though I was I was so booked is that I think it's really important uh, to to have professional audio engineers working with students who might go and do this and so they can see how it's done and learn these tricks and learn the the workflows and stuff like that and it's something that I like doing but at, at the same time you want it to be good like you don't it's a cop out to go to me it's a cop out to go well it's a, it's a it's a college show. 
like it could still be a good show. And like we ended up with something that I was very proud of and I thought was very impressive and like was moving. You know, I, I went I went and sat through one of the, the shows when I got back and I was like, this is incredible. Um, but that how do you balance that defending the show and the integrity of the show and the integrity of the performance against, you know, you are being hired to do education also, you know, like I, I want to hear about that balance. I'll go. Okay, Jess. <laughs> I actually come from a world of high school uh, in which I demanded that of my students. Uh, it was magnet art high school uh, and it had a conservatory model. Uh, and I actually only taught lighting design uh, in a stagecraft and design department in which someone else taught sound, someone taught costumes, someone taught scenic, and we would bring someone in to teach projections. Um, and you just have to ask them. They want to do it. They want to put out quality work, right? Like um, anyone who's there for the for the product or the process. Like I think there's kids that are there for both, right? I think the the product kids turned into designers and the process kids turned into technicians. And I think there's so much value in both of those spaces, and you can't minimize that, right? Like this hierarchy bullshit especially in theater of like the performers and then there's the techies or whatever like there's so much more of a hierarchy and we all need each other to be able to do this work and we all have to demand that we do our best job um and that's how you get them to do it right and also at the same time recognizing that it's going to take five times longer to do anything that you could just do yourself and build that time in so that you know that we're going to do hang and usually it would take two days but like we're going to spend a week and we're all going to remember that lefty, Lucy, righty, tidy, right? Like we're just going <laughs> to learn how to do it. We're going to let them get it into their tiny bodies, right? Like mixing or whatever. Um, and they pick it up so quick. Like they're so smart. And you just have to give them confidence, right? In education oh, and absolutely. like definitely not model and like, Tell them they can do it. Like, it's just really rudimentary things, but like, they will rise to the occasion if you let them. And I've seen a lot of bad educators that don't let that happen, who take that onus away from them. Um, and I think it's really important to, to give it to them and let them own it and then watch them grow for four years, whether that be high school or college, right? Like, they're capable of amazing things if you just let them do it. Kyle, take it away. I, I mean, how could I follow that up? I think I 100% agree that, you know, you need to give them the space to to learn how to do it. You give them the kind of the starting building blocks for, you know, here's how things, here's how we do this. This is why we do the things that we do. And then you give that to them and say, great, roll with this. Come to me if you have questions. For, for, my, for my program, it's a BFA program in design and technology with a concentration in sound. So we are, you know, we have a very, very, not strict, but we have a very intense track where our undergrad students, we don't have any grad students in the sound program. So it's, it's all just undergrads. Your four years are here and then you're designing musicals usually by your, you know, second semester, junior year, first semester, senior year. And it's, it's like you said, it's full production and it's, you're, you're working up to that point. But making sure that you are able to not only learn from us as the instructors, but learn from your peers is something that's incredibly important because for better or worse, you're, they're not going to listen to me all the time. <laughs> and I'm OK with that. 
as long as it's not something safety related. If it's something <laughs> safety related, then they do. Ha- I, I get it to be a bit of a tyrant on that. Um, but, you know, being able to learn from multiple sources, learn from multiple people and learn from people who have done this before is incredibly important. And having those professionals like Michael was talking about in the space is a phenomenal resource. I wish I had had that in my high school and in my undergraduate. I I had a really good undergraduate experience, but I didn't go to theater. I didn't go to school for theater. Like I went to school for audio production. So my, my track was in, in studio recording and I basically shoehorned theater into that. But I would have loved to know about the paperwork aspect. I would have loved to know about line by line mixing. I didn't do that in, in, in undergrad and having that asset in your tertiary education is phenomenal. And I think, you know, learning from those people is incredibly important. And, you know, it's not something to be taken lightly and not something to be to, to be taken for granted. I think that's, you know, that's I think I may have said this to you, Kyle, like when I when I first called you up and asked you if you wanted to work on this show uh, with me. I, one of the things that I said that, you know, why why I try so hard to shoehorn stuff at Hamilton into my schedule um, is is that it's there, you know, the sound designers are professional audio engineers and sound designers the the lighting designers professional lighting designer like that every they're not um a lot of colleges that it's very like so-and-so is going to kind of just you know you know it, I, I, it's kind of the archetype right like uncle randy who used to be a radio dj and he's going to come in and help out and that's great and we need that you know but but to take a significant amount of the school's budget and go we're going to spend this hiring actual professionals who actually do these jobs and have them come in and work with the students you there's not really a substitute for that. And and I think that's probably a better use of the money than like some fancy processor or something like that. You know, like um, you You can have all the toy, all the toys and all the fancy toys in the world that you can possibly buy. But if you don't have people who are smart to learn, to like know how to properly use them and how to properly teach people how to use them. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Cause a good audio, a good designer and a good audio engineer can take the, I'm not going to call it bottom tier, but, you know, gear that's probably as old as these undergrad students are and turn out a great product with it. And the mark of a good engineer and a great engineer or a good designer and a great designer is being able to not only take that gear and make something great from it, but also teach people about why you can use this gear. Like you don't need a 384 input quantum (laughs) series console to, to do a musical theater production if the budget doesn't allow for it. But if you can get a really good result using something like a, a Yamaha, like a DM1000 or a DM2000, like you can probably, you know, if you can make that work, that's great. Well, and I think it's inspiring to those students, right? Like coming from such a hyper-focused place of education, like these students, some of them do know what they want to do. Some just know that they enjoy theater, which like I think a lot of people can relate to, right? Like I enjoy this process and I enjoy uh, you know, the feeling of camaraderie and making a cool thing and like that kind of thing. But then the, I see kids in this program that are super hyper-focused who want more out of a design and technology track. Um, like your QLab operator, Eric, literally just <laughs> walked up to me and Michael and was like, so when are, when are we going to get a sound design class? I was like, oh God, we're on break. <laughs> like, could you not, you know? <laughs> but like, You're in it right, right now. Like, <laughs> well, this is Michael. So you should probably just talk to him for the next seven minutes. Um, but like, you yeah. see that hunger, right? And so like, I think it's a fascinating place because these students are so smart and they pick things up like that. Um, and so I think there's a world in which there is some kind of design technology class or like track 
within the theater program. And I'd love to, to grow and develop that. And it's exciting, I think, to have professionals in because they get to watch you work. And I think the strongest thing that you can do for students is modeling professionalism for them. Right? Like, even if they have Absolutely. no idea what's going on, they're like, whoa, the person <laughs> is doing something cool and important. And like, if that's where your interest starts, like get in here, right? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, having that's, that was, I kind of made a show of it. Like I was walking around to the different, like the, the choreographer and the music director and, and Mark, the director, I was making a point of walking around to each person and like kind of checking in during the tech process because I wanted other technicians and other students who were technicians to see me do that because I want that to be a model for what they need to do in the future because that open and honest communication is key. And that's something that I will tell all my, all directors that I work with. I'm like, I want you to be open, upfront, and honest with me. If something's not working, tell me as soon as you can so that I have the time to figure out what will work and what will, in in that respect, you know, make the show better. I don't want to hear it after the after we've opened, like, oh, I didn't actually really like that effect. I didn't really like what you were doing with that. It's like, well, I can't do anything about it now. So, you know, I wanted to be that model for those students. And I do that even even here at Penn State. I want to be that be that model as much as I can of like, here's why we communicate. Here's why we are. Here's why we're putting out all these all these emails in such a quick and ferocious succession in order to get the answers that we need early so that we can make sure that we have the the tools that we need to succeed. And, you know, I think one thing that I would love to do in the future with Hamilton College is like if if I'm going coming in for another musical or even a play, get people in who are interested in doing sound for theater, mm -hmm. if there are any people, and show them what the pre-production process is like. Because, you know, I'm kind of a huge paperwork nerd and I'm able Me to, too. Nerd. I, I'm a paperwork nerd. <laughs> I'm a self-proclaimed paperwork nerd and um, getting people, getting undergraduate students in on that is incredibly important because it teaches you a lot about, you know, file management. It, it teaches you a lot about, you know, laying out things concisely and clearly. And I think that's, you can even take those skills beyond if they don't want to do technical theater or do musicals that you can take those skills to any industry basically and use them and succeed. Totally. Yeah, I totally agree that there's so many transferable qualities between uh, production of any sort, actually, um, and a career in literally anything. <laughs> but, you know, between communication yeah. and uh, documentation and just, like, civility even, it's, like, really basic things that I think, you know, when we have kind of, like, a dream team that we had for rent, um, that we kind of take it for granted, right? And just be like, oh, it works because it works. And like, no, it works because everybody right, is on the same page for one billion different reasons. Um, if you can teach students to do things like that, then um, they can take those anywhere. And they're a rock star. Just fascinating. I think one of the other, absolutely. I think one of the other really great things about rent, especially, is that we never really had someone who I like to coin the term the steamroller. Um, like we didn't have someone who like would roll over everyone and say, no, 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 we have to do it this way. We have to right. do, we have to get, you know, this certain, this specific thing, or, or we have to do it this specific way. Everyone was open to trying new things and everyone was open to collaboration and communication and compromise to a certain degree, but that comes with the territory. Right. It was yeses till it had to be no's, like you said earlier, where you were like, <laughs> there was like yeah. two things we couldn't compromise on. Um, and we said, um love you so much but no 
And, you know, like everybody said that to me in some facet, you know, and I was like, okay, well, but sounds like, no, but like, it's a musical. So we're going to have to hear them. So like scenic, I'm going to come back to you and counter offer that. Like, what if the Christmas tree was two dimensional? <laughs> like, right. Like, <laughs> Oh, right. I forgot that it used to be a 3d to be Christmas, a gigantic tree. Christmas tree. Um, yeah, we negotiated and I actually have a picture of it in the dumpster at that second production that I did. And I'll send it to all of you. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. So, oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I was going to say, Jess, um, so Kyle's already asked, answered this question before. Um, uh, What's something you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I I think I knew this, but I think I've grown to know, like, the, the super, like, invaluable part of it is that you have to you have to be willing to learn all the time, right? Like it's not one of those things that you learn and then you know it and then you do it forever. Right. And I don't know if there's any kind of profession like that anymore. Right. And like this rapidly technological world, but like um, you, you have to be flexible and you have to um, at some point, I feel like be like, this is what I know well, and this is what I'm willing to learn. And that's what I don't know. And that's okay. Right. Like, um, if you need that thing, I'm not your person. Um, so like as a professional and also production manager, like I'd rather have someone tell me, I actually don't know that system super well, or like, I don't know that board super well, but let me call my friend because they do. Right. So like knowing what, you know, being willing to learn, um, and also acknowledging like the holes in what, what you're strong at, I think are super duper important. Um, just to be successful, right, for yourself and also whatever production. Maybe you are a person who knows everything. That is awesome. It's also probably not true, <laughs> right? Like, so, uh, yeah. So I think just, like, being being willing to learn but also being honest with yourself about what you know it can do is super duper important. So I have sort of a creative question for Kyle. I know we were a little bit up against the clock, but, um, you know, working with Mark Cryer, who is our director on this and this is my, my third or fourth show with Mark. And I, I have a pretty good idea by now what he's going for and what his sort of, you know, framework is and how he approaches that. And as soon as he said, we're doing rent, I was like, I have a pretty good idea of what Mark's going to want the show to sound like. And it happened to be along the lines of what, what Kyle and I wanted the show to sound like. Um, and I didn't actually have, you know, the first, the first opportunity that I had to sit down with Mark and sort of just talk to him about his vision for it. We were sort of pretty far on in the, in the process. And it was just like, yep, that's what, exactly what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> it's just good. But um, Mark's very, he's very trusting, at least when it comes to sound, I can say that he's, he's very much like, you know, you know, I would, like Kyle said, I'd you know, go over and just check in with him. And it's like, is this, is this what you were hoping? Were you like, yeah, baby, you know, <laughs> that'd be it, you know? And so he was very, and when I did, when I did Barbara Seville, it was, um, it was a very similar thing. I don't think I got a single note from the director the entire time. Um, and I think probably that's why I got the call for that one, because it was just so technically out of their wheelhouse, outside amplified opera. Like it was just so different than what they knew that I think they didn't really even have a, a, a good frame of reference for what was possible or what to expect. And so I think that was just like, figure it out you know um but i don't think that's probably the most representative the experiences i've had with directors and that they're not really super particular about you know i mean there's i think one conversation about one thing that happened in one scene on barber that we were just like 
we need to f- get together and figure out creatively how to do this. But other than that, it was really just, they just let me do it the way I thought it should be done. And, you know, unless something's on fire, I'm not really going to hear about it. Um, What's your experience been like with different directors, Kyle, and just, you know, having directors getting involved with different aspects of the design and the kind of, you know, we, Chris will tell you we, on this show, we talk a ton about the interaction between a front of house engineer and a system engineer in the, in the, the, the music world. Um, and, how to find that spectrum of some who want to be very involved in everything and some who just want to let you go. Um, is, are you finding there's a similar spectrum there when it comes to directors and sound design? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the, the thing that you always have to keep in mind, especially in theatrical sound design is that you as the sound designer are the expert in the room because you are working in a field that is very non-visual and humans by nature are visual people so when you try to describe what you want in sound you have to work about 10 times as harder as someone in another more visual department would so there are people there are directors that i've worked with who understand both the the benefits and the drawbacks of certain aspects of sound design and what works with the with the vision of the show that they're doing and what doesn't and there are directors who have no idea what they want and there are directors that kind of fall in the middle where they have no idea what they want, but they also know that they don't want this. And those are the directors that I have to work a little bit harder with about kind of trying to find what the, what the middle ground is there and understanding what their, what their language is and how to translate that. Um, Sound design is about 90% people management and about 10%, uh, you know, content and, and mixing and stuff. Like you're, you're wrangling the opinions and the thoughts of every, of a bunch of different people in that room. And when you can work with a director like Mark, and I've worked with several other directors like him, uh, where they are very trusting and they say, look, I know you are the professional and you are the expert here. I'm going to let you do what you do best. And if I've got ideas or I've got thoughts on what you're doing, I'll let you know. Those are the directors I find I work best with because they're not trying to breathe down my neck every 30 seconds saying, well, why does it sound like that? Why does it sound like that? Why is there feedback now? It's like, we're, we're working on it. This is a, <laughs> this is a, we can't head off feedback until we know what's feeding back and uh, <laughs> ensuring that, you know, being that calm voice in the room, especially with directors who are very much breathing down your neck. Like if you can be a source of, a source of calm and reason, like that's fantastic. And I think Mark is definitely not that type of person. But to to his benefit, he he knows that we are the professionals, and I had a wonderful time working working with him. Sweet, um, Chris, are you ready for your question? Yeah, uh, we're not we're not doing any food though. Oh, we can do food. Uh, so, I mean, we've asked Kyle this before. I haven't asked Jess though, and Jess and I got lunch a couple days ago. Um, she's been since she got to Hamilton college. She's been texting me about like where to get good Mexican. And so I finally took her to this Mexican place in Rome that I think is like really good. So what, what did you think? Jess? was it okay after you had some, you've had some letdowns so far. It was okay. (laughs) (laughs) It was the best Mexican food that I've had in central New York, which is like, I mean, that's all you can ask for. Really? It's like the brightest gray, you know, (laughs) (laughs) But it was, no, it was what I wanted. It was $15 worth of some cheese and tortillas. Man, like, I'm not sad about it. Yeah. All right. So, nice. so just if 
you're going to take everyone uh-huh. here out for lunch to any place of your choosing, your favorite place to go. Where are we going to go? Uh oh. Yeah, you're good. I've ruined you're everything. Good. No, you're okay. good. Okay, someone just called me. Please repeat your question. <laughs> if you, you're. You're going to take us all out for lunch at a place of your choosing mm-hmm. anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Where, where are you taking us? Oh, where am I taking you? All right. So there's this place and I don't think it reopened after the pandemic and I'm not trying to make anyone in Denver sad, but it's called Benny's. It's on Grant and 7th in Denver. Um, it's real good Mexican food. Uh, I would take everyone there. We could all have, you can pay $4 more to not get ice in your pitcher of margaritas, which is tight. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, But I don't think it reopened. But Michael, I know that you are going to Red Rock too soon. Uh, I'm getting on a plane in 12 hours. You truly are. So on the Lakewood side of Denver, which is where you're probably going to be, there's a place called Jose O'Shea's and it is fine, just fine. It's all smothered in green chili. It's all great. I would highly recommend it. It's right there on Union Union Sims and something right off six, probably fifth. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but I would rec I would recommend. It's all just a big soup of green chili and some kind of combination of meat, bean, and cheese. It's great. All right, noted. Sounds fantastic. All right, Jess. Good. So, uh, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? So stressful. <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, I think that I learned from a lot of people in theater, and I think, ironically, maybe I learned the most from them that were really mean. Um, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> like, I whipped myself into shape because they were terrifying, right? I, I would like to believe that I get the same results without being horrifying. And you'll have to run that by my students <laughs> because technically, because it was kind of a blur. So maybe they're like, Oh no, you're terrifying. Like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't well, here on the phone right now is <laughs> <laughs> Olivia being like, Oh, I was really scared. Uh, just kidding. Um, so yeah, I suppose if that was my legacy, I would like to be an educator <laughs> who conveyed urgency without scaring the shit out of everyone. That's an honorable uh, thing to aspire or leave behind. That's good. Yeah, thank you, I think. Sweet. (laughs) Kyle and Jess, thank you for joining us. It was delightful. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me.